Hi. This week's episode is a little bit different. Uh, typically, we interview an actor, director, or a playwright who has some project to plug, but this time we are talking with a person who isn't here to plug an upcoming project, but rather to talk about a long and fascinating career. We are talking with Roy C. Dix, who has served as theater critic for Raleigh's News and Observer for two decades, 21 years. In that time, he has reviewed an estimated 1,200 shows in the Triangle. And at least some of those reviews must have been pretty positive, because the theater community has made it quite known how much Roy's contribution to the paper of record is going to be missed. Recently, the Burning Coal Theater even held a special event in his honor. Here at NC Theater Stories, we don't take a lot seriously, but we do take seriously great theater critique. I feel it is an important part of a thriving theater community, and I wanted to dedicate an episode to recognizing Dick's contributions. Before picking up a notepad, Roy's career in theater actually began on the boards as an actor and director. For a short time, he even helped run a theater-centric bookstore in Raleigh. We're going to try to talk to him about all of that and his future. Roy may have had his last byline in the News and Observer, but he is far from done reviewing great theater. How lovely to sit here in the shade With none of the woes of man and maid I'm glad I'm not young anymore well, thank you, Roy, for coming on the show. You've you have reviewed, I believe it it's the number is one thousand two hundred shows. Um, is is uh, that that I I don't know how if that's like the specific or if you're rounding number. off. Yeah, that was my number that I came up with after counting back because I've saved all my reviews for all those years. That was a number for the Raleigh News and Observer uh, reviews because I've been with them until August for 21 years, and we did about 60 shows a year, one way or the other, right until the last, so you, you know, do the math, and it starts coming out to that, and that actually doesn't include a stint that I had um, as a reviewer for the Raleigh Weekly Spectator in the late 70s and early 80s, which was about 250 reviews, so it's veering towards 1500. Oh wow. Seems like a lot, but it's true. Yeah, I noticed uh, I noticed a number of your stories get reprinted in uh in other other publications. I think yeah. mm-hmm. uh the the uh I believe one of them went in the news and record or the the Greensboro paper. I I believe as all the Charlotte Observer uh used your David Sedaris story. Right. Well, of course, that's because Charlotte and Raleigh papers are under the McClatchy ownership, so they they do share stories. Uh, They don't pay you extra for that? No, it's not part of the deal, unfortunately, but that's okay. It gets the the name out there, and other people get to read things that they they wouldn't have. Uh, But, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, stories also get pulled into other, obviously, theaters that want to have the review. represent something that they did well they can reprint the whole review online or else excerpt so the name gets out there <laughs> so um i i did one of the first things i wanted to ask you was uh, why now why 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 did you, did you decide now is 
I mean, obviously, you still have your faculties about you. You, you, you know, it's you right. still enjoy seeing theater. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Um, I had been doing it, as I said, for 21 years, and the thing that began happening at the News Observer, which is happening all across the country, so it's nothing to do with them particularly. It's just the general trend is that uh, for about the last year I was getting fewer and fewer assignments and basically doing one review a month, Mm -hmm. maybe two. Uh, And all this came about because the uh, sort of direction of really any uh, newspaper that has a print edition or has had a print edition for you know decades is now having to focus on the online part of it because that's where they can reach more people. But the key thing is they can also count the clicks. Right. And it means that you know they can specifically say this story got 840 clicks, whereas this story only got 200 mm. or whatever in between. And the bald fact is that reviews have never been as popular a uh, an article to read by the public as mm-hmm. things like sports, business, politics, um, cooking. There are things that are a broader appeal. And you know, we we who love theater want to think that everybody wants to know about it, but in in reality, it's a smaller audience. Yeah. Uh, so when you start making the the um, judge that you have for judgment that you have for what you are going to print or not then because this has clicks mm-hmm. now online, you can say, well, you know, we need to go with those things that give the most clicks. Now, of course, that's a kind of a, uh, a, a one-way street that's going to take you down the, uh, you know, the path to only doing the most popular yeah. thing. And it kind of changes the whole landscape of what we used to rely on newspapers for, uh, which was to do things we didn't know about or to you know, let us know about things that they felt were worthy yeah. as opposed to what was going to be the most popular. But again, I, I will defend the paper in saying that it's not them, it's the entire yeah, way everything is having to go. And so you know, people like my editors and all the people I work with, they're just doing what they're told they have to do so that the – it all has to do, of course, with advertising because you can mm. say advertisers, look how many – you know, how many eyeballs are going to be on our paper, and they show them the click numbers. So I could see that this was, you know, obviously a turn was taken, mm-hmm. and after having done it for more than two decades, it was also kind of a little bit time for me to rest a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but your question about uh, still going to the theater, I haven't stopped reviewing entirely. Um, I'm going to still do some for several sources. Um, one of them is uh, here, based here in Raleigh, called um, Classical Voice of North Carolina. Oh, wow. It's, uh, one that's been online for 20 years, but almost 20 years. But uh, it started off as only classical music, but they soon added dance and theater, and so they cover the spectrum. And uh, it's actually North Carolina-wide, although it concentrates on the large cities like Charlotte and Winston-Salem and Raleigh and Wilmington. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I I'm, have actually reviewed for them all along things that were not going to get reviewed in the paper anyway. I could go ahead and do that as a sort of in tandem with my reviewing. So I'll continue to, to review for them. And um, 
there are some other uh, print sources uh, and online sources that I can occasionally do some for as well. So I don't plan to just put my feet up, but it will be not quite as at quite at the level that I yeah. had been doing before. Yeah. Well, you well, um, yeah. I, I you know I I think uh, it, it's it's they. I guess they were paying you per article. Um, yes, other... I was a correspondent, uh, not a staff member, and so it was a set fee for each for each uh, uh, piece, whether it was a review or an interview preview type article, because I did those as well. But yes, um, in fact, you know, fewer and fewer um, papers anywhere have staff that are dedicated to theater or even performing arts anymore. Yeah. Uh, that used to be the case that, you know, any paper of any worth had a theater critic, a music critic, you know, dance critic, whatever. And then they started mushing those together. And finally, just in many cases, there are big, large metropolitan area papers that don't have any criticism at all. They do preview things, but not any that send somebody to a performance and then reports on it afterwards. Again, because they find that that, as a smaller audience. Well, you know, and I think that uh, that when when you get into criticism, uh, there's always the risk that you you do a review of a show that isn't uh, uh, isn't particularly taken well by the theater, and the theater suddenly is saying, "Well, we're going to pull our advertising." <laughs> and, uh, right, and uh, uh, of course, uh, if you, all things being equal, that is not supposed to be. Um, one doesn't affect the other. And right. I, I think I can say truthfully that. Uh, the News Observer, at least for all, most of all those years, uh, that was true. The the the. Uh, in fact, there had been times where you know that kind of threat came, and they would say, "Well, that's your choice," but you know we're not being affected by that. If, unfortunately, now, you know, I think the. Uh, I'm not saying they've changed that, but I think obviously it's it's a matter of trying to stay alive uh, because all these papers are shrinking and many folding. You know, they're also many cities that don't have a paper anymore because it just wasn't supported or supportable. So, yeah, I, that wasn't a problem in the past uh, as far as, you know, my reviews and yeah. not known to be a mean, vindictive or, or uh, you know, sort of uh, cranky reviewer, but mm. uh, there were certainly reviews that were negative and reviews that were mixed and reviews that were positive, and we never seemed to have a, a direct problem with, uh, you know, my having... I could still go, and they could still put the advertising in. So, 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 how did you get started in theater journalism? And I, I knew you started out on the stage, uh, right? Well, as a, as I've said before, I didn't start out to be. I never knew or thought that I would ever do theater criticism when I started out uh, in Raleigh in 1970. Uh, I was just wanting to pursue my interest in acting beyond what I had already done with my theater degree from East Carolina and uh, my experience there. And also in Fayetteville at the Fayetteville Little Theater, that's actually where I got my first acting uh, experience. Um, and uh, so when I was here, I just you know started auditioning uh, for theaters and continued doing acting uh, for another... 14 years or so, and around 84, um, that was my last time on stage after 65 different productions, if I may so brag. <laughs> and um, uh, that mostly changed because just coincidentally and certainly not planned, uh, a fellow actor of mine, Tom Dawson, and 
I uh, decided to, <laughs> probably stupidly, but uh, try, decided to start a theater that was for all of us as actors to try to be able to be in things that weren't being offered locally. At the time, most of the theaters were offering or, or producing plays that were, you know, 10, 15, 20 years in the past as mm-hmm. far as Broadway or, or name shows. And there was nothing contemporary and nothing that you would, for lack of a better term, call off-Broadway or, you know, sort of um, independent dramas that aren't the same thing as the, you know, the big name Neil yeah. Diamonds and My Fair Ladies and those sort of things. Nothing wrong with those as, as you know, um, entertainment and all that. But we were, as actors, hungering for the David Mammoths and mm-hmm. Sam Shepard and, you know, McNally and, and all those. And so we said, let's just do it ourselves and see what happens. And that was the formation of the group called Raleigh Ensemble Players. Oh, cool. And we were involved with that uh, from early 80s, uh, and I was involved with it uh, for about 10 years as both a director and sort of co-manager of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually it got to be such a success that I could no longer be involved with it and still have my regular 40-hour-a-week <laughs> job as a librarian because mm-hmm. all, all of my theatrical activity was, you know, um, avocational. It was not anything that I was ever trying to make a living at because that's pretty difficult. Yeah. Uh, you have to sacrifice a lot, and I was not ready for that. But uh, so then, from uh, mid '80s until late '90s, I was a director, and it just worked out that that I was asked to do more and more and more. Mm-hmm. So I directed about 34 plays in 10 years at all kinds of levels: university and community, uh, dinner theater, a number of places that had me. So I got all of that experience. And then because I retired from the library system after 27 years because I could, and they would start sending me a check, I was like, this is great. I had just had enough years and enough um, age for the right combination to do that. I thought, well, I'll see what happens. And the very next month after I retired, the News and Observer called me and said, hey, what, would I be interested in doing some criticism and it's funny I remember that call because I thought oh great theater criticism they said no well we have someone doing that and I thought well let's see I'm in the library oh books you want me to review books and they said no we want you to review classical music and I stopped and thought well why are you calling me why aren't you calling somebody at the you know the university or some musician or some somebody and they said well this is a general paper and we don't want it to be academic, and we don't want it to be particularly, you know, detailed as far as the musical part of it, but just what the general public could respond to. And the main reason they called me was because I had written and complained in several letters about their classical music cover, <laughs> another interest of mine. And so they can, they sort of kept. I kept saying, "Would well, you know? I, I'm I'm kind of you know tentative about actually reviewing because." You know, what if somebody writes a letter and says, who let this know-nothing on here? <laughs> and they kept saying, no, 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 it's not meant to be for the, you know, for this detail. I said, okay, I'm doing it mm. on one condition, that if I get a letter from someone, <laughs> the first letter <laughs> I get like that, I'm stopping. Oh. And I can truthfully say that it took a couple of years before I got something that was a, a complaint, <laughs> and by that time I was, you know, grounded enough in it to... Um, yeah. 
take it. And soon after I started doing that musical uh, criticism, they then added in theater and also dance, which is another interest. <laughs> but theater became the, the 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 main one, and obviously the one that I had the most background in, and so that's what I've reviewed the most over that time. But that just, as you can see with that long answer, that it was totally unplanned for, but kind of a logical progress from being on stage to being a director to being able to do the criticism. And because I had my theater training for four years at East Carolina, I did everything. I, you know, I did not only the acting on stage, but lights, sets. You know, we had to take costuming courses. We had to do all the things that you would do backstage. Uh, so it's, you know, I had the, the sort of whole package hmm. and didn't really think about it till I started uh, reviewing. And so therefore felt that I was confident in being able to to make those judgments. Yeah, I um well for one I I'll, I'll say that that is actually how I got my start in journalism is I wrote huh. an angry letter to a paper and okay. I was like, "Hey, this could be better and this could be better." And then the editor's like, "Well, you think you're you know That's so right. much. How about you you write something." Put your money where your mouth is and put up or shut up. <laughs> but um but yeah, so so uh what are some of the favorite productions you've seen? I mean, I think out of a thousand two hundred, probably pretty, pretty difficult to pick. But do, yeah, it do... is, and I'm sure I'll I'll leave some out. But just trying to think about that question in advance, um, there are just certain ones, and it's a hard it's a hard thing to get what we would call a near perfect, if not totally perfect, production, as you well know. And there's there's always going to be it's just there are too many elements for it to all come together. But when they do and you just sit there and marvel at how everything is in its place, the acting, the directing, the lighting, the the tone of the thing, everything, that, you know, those things do stick. So just some some off the top of my head ones, uh, and they come from all different places. But going back first to, uh, if I may say so, the Raleigh Ensemble Players, this is far after I left them, so it wasn't anything I had anything to do with. But in 2001, a great director named Glenn Matthews did a production of Martin Sherman's Bent, uh, you know, which is the uh, play about the uh, Nazi persecution of homosexuals in Germany at mm -hmm. World War II. But the reason it was so great was they did it as an environmental type theater thing, and they had they always played in this large open space, which was in downtown Raleigh, and actually an art gallery in their main gallery space on the second floor, and they could just do whatever they wanted to with mm -hmm. it, having to set up a show each time. And they took that giant space and curtained it off into four quadrants with black curtains that could either be pulled to make all four spaces pulled in a different way to make it half or pulled all the way out to make it whole. And the audience was sort of herded into each of these little quadrants, and each scene took place in a different place. But the audience was there in the place, so whether it was in the apartment at the beginning or at a at the nightclub, uh, and then later the most one of the most uh, effective was that they're all put on the train going to the concentration camp, and we're we the audience were sitting on the floor with the other prisoners sitting on the floor, and when the guards came in and started beating them up, you were like two inches away from that. It was very visceral. Mm -hmm. uh, it kept going that way. So the whole point was that it was you never knew where you were going to be next, and as an audience, you were treated as though you were participants in those 
scenes. It was oh. great. It was a great experience. Really wonderful way to uh, uh, you know involve you. Uh, moving on to a different one, um, Burning Coal, which puts on a number of great productions, as you just reviewed recently. Uh, in 2010, put on a production of To Kill a Mockingbird, and everybody does it. I mean, every school and every university does it. So you're saying, why is that so great? Well, it was just the way that they took the sort of standard script but made it into a much sort of deeper and darker um, really, again, a sort of visceral grabber mm -hmm. because they used um, only 10 actors and they doubled and tripled the parts. But for some reason, that kind of made it even more universal. Mm -hmm. And they were up on a sort of platform that you were looking up at and they could make... Uh, they didn't have any sets. They just had a back wall of sort of wooden doors and, and windows and they would bring on whatever they needed for props. But it had a very focused sort of single vision that somehow every actor and everything about it made that story that we all know even more more um, sort of focused and just grabbed you up. It's really a great production. Mm -hmm. And it just shows you to me that you can take something that everybody else has done, but if you do it in a, a different way, it can just suddenly rise above all the rest. Um, the... Um, uh, Theater Raleigh, which is a professional theater. It started about 10 years ago now in Raleigh, mostly during the summer. And they do see, uh, plays and musicals. But I, um, if you ever see the director's name, Eric Woodall, mm -hmm. you know to run and see the show because he just has it. And every show he does, you can count on it being really great. And he did two musicals there with them, which are these sort of what I would call minor off-Broadway-type musicals. One is called Violet, uh, about uh, the woman who goes on the bus trip in the 1960s to try to get healed by a faith healer, and she meets many people along the way along the bus and gets involved with some black soldiers, and this one has lots to do with race and religion. And the thing is they do it on a very small stage and with, again, very little uh, scenery, minimal props and yet you see everything you know your chairs become the bus seats and that sort of thing so the fact that that can make you the audience supply so much of it uh is really what makes theater great we can talk about more about that later but that's one example where the more you get the audience to supply their own imagination the better it is because the minute you try to make a set that looks realistic unless you can do it with a lot of money you know, you see a painted window here and a peeling, you know, uh, cardboard something over there. You know, you're you're, you're drawing attention to yeah. the fact that you can't recreate that. But if it's a bare stage, I mean, it's the way Shakespeare did it. You know, you you ask the audience to supply. And uh, so the other one that he did uh, later in 2014 was called Parade, and that's the musical about the uh, shirt factory that uh, burned in New York. City and burned up all the participants because the uh, owners didn't do all the safety things. And it sounds like <laughs> what a great thing for me. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, serious musical. But again, it was staged in this very uh, minimal way so that mm -hmm. you supplied everything. And the great thing about that, too, is everything flows. You don't need to wait for a scene, scene change. You don't need to wait for someone to, you know, go off and let the next people come in. You can just let the let the scenes flow, and that just is a whole different experience when you're sort of caught up in it and nothing breaks that 
that mood and that atmosphere that you've uh, established. Yeah, it's one of my uh, top five want to see live shows parade. So that's... oh yeah, well they, it gets done uh, some a fair amount of times. And fine, I'll just mention one other because it'll lead me into something else, which is that uh, Man Bites Dog uh, in Durham, which lasted 31 years and just closed this year. Mm-hmm. Probably my favorite theater producing company of all, and I can say that now because they're gone and doesn't insult anybody who's <laughs> currently running, but they were consistent with really wonderful shows every time, but one of them that was just recent, so just this past uh, 2018 in the late winter, called the Moors, M O O R S, like the mm-hmm. Moors on in Scotland, and uh, sort of a sort of a parody of the Gothic tales of you know the sort of um, almost like uh, not quite like horror stories, but like mm-hmm. I don't know Jenner and those kind of things. Uh, but again, there was nothing. It was supposed to be in an old house with these weird inhabitants, and you. Was supposed to be spooky, mm-hmm. but the way they created it, you had a big plain stage, and all they had, the set designer had uh, put together this sort of um, uh, hanging piece that was an oblong rectangular piece that covered the stage that had a sort of uh, a little bit of, of a design on it, but you couldn't tell what. But by putting a certain amount of light on it and certain amount of shadow or smoke or whatever, it became the more you could see it. And yet it wasn't wow. anything that had been made to try to be representational, but you got the idea of it. And uh, the rest of it was just done with chairs and costumes and lighting and sound. And it was just, you felt, and you felt cold. I mean, you <laughs> felt like you're right there on the moors and it's just like, how can they do this? But that's wow. me. The magic of theater. So yeah, an example. Yeah, uh, Man Bites Dog Theater. They they were they. I, I haven't seen. I, I you know not being from the Triangle. I I'm, I've not seen yeah. as many of their shows as I'm sure you have. Uh, particularly since nobody was was paying me to go see their shows. <laughs> but <laughs> but they're um but yeah the, the, from what I saw they were a fearless theater company. I, I felt terrible that they're they're no longer with us. Right, of course. That, that was 31 years, and it was run by people that, you know, the, the, the two guys that started it were the ones that, you know, finished it. So it was their sort of their whole career there. And uh, it was just a matter of, you know, you do get tired, you do get older. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that makes sense. So it's a, it's a great loss, but there will be others that come along. In fact, another company has kind of gotten together some of the people who worked with uh, Man Bites. Uh, and are forming a new theater called Bull City Theater. Oh, cool! Uh, so it kind of has bull from the you know the Durham part, but also mm-hmm. the, uh, sort of reflecting the same idea that uh, Man Bites had. And so I've seen their first show, and they, you know, it, it's they're trying to be a sort of a similar thing without copying them. But usually, there's enough uh, enthusiasm for. Um, trying to to you know have these kinds of shows that somebody's going to pop up and try them now you you touched on this uh, a little but I, I i wanted to ask you what you felt were the ingredients for great theater what what is what is what are things you look for when you go see a show that you think you know this well i mean it's uh, to me obviously obviously it has to start off with a certain the right amount of talent and experience mm-hmm. and a certain vision by the director 
Uh, I mean, that goes without saying, I guess. But um, I think it it's more uh, I'm seeing that when I see something that, as I say, pulls together and everything is one, you know that everybody's on the same page and someone has a a, a vision of it. And I think the problem I see is a lot of uh, perfectly well-meaning mm-hmm. directors and actors and creative people – pick things and think, oh, this is, we, we like the show, let's do this one, without stopping to think, do they really have a strong vision of what they want to do with it, and uh, do they understand all of the requirements of it, because I see a lot of shows that have been picked to do, and then you realize they didn't have either the technical ability, or the enough talent in the in the roles, or didn't understand the play, and didn't, didn't right. really give it the, the emphasis. So there's all of that, that that really has to come together. It's a difficult. I mean, you've got, again, so many elements, it's hard to come up with one that really becomes sort of a, a hit. But you can really tell the difference when you see it. Yeah. Because you know it's been pulled together. The thing I will say is that, without naming any names, uh, I think you also have to, uh, it, it has to be something in which the purpose for doing it is, the right one and mm. sometimes it's a show that's been picked because the artistic director has always wanted to do that show whether they have the ability or not sometimes it's for someone to show off their their own acting or directing oh yeah uh, vanity projects whether whether it's the appropriate one or not but it's because it's for them not necessarily the audience and sometimes i see shows that you can tell that it's for the enjoyment of the actors mm-hmm. and the director more than it is for the audience. They're up there having a great time and just <laughs> loving whatever they've done, but it isn't it isn't projecting anything uh, that uh, sort of pulls the audience in. And mm-hmm. I, I can say I've seen a number of those. And I think it's just a matter of you have to have the right um, purpose and vision for it to work. Yeah, I uh, makes great theater to me. It can be any kind of theater. It doesn't have to be lofty or serious. It can be the silliest, lightest thing, but it has to be done with a way that you know you are doing this for the audience and trying your best to illuminate or make the, the piece work, and nothing else should be part of that. But Yeah, I, I, I certainly have to agree with you on, on uh, having a, a vision, and you see some of these some you know some of these directors clearly have like before before they've cast anyone before anything's been done they have a, a, an idea of what they want to do with this show they they know exactly what they're going to do um and, and you know i've also seen shows where i i thought wow the director you like sent out different memos to different actors as far as what kind of show this was <laughs> like um and then it's sort of the the vision seemed to be all over the place or you know there of course some directors were just trying to copy something they'd seen um before um right but uh well, i can tell you from experience from the director's side of things as well as the actors but mostly the my directing is that you can get pulled into wanting to do something that you've always loved. See, loving a show and enjoying a show doesn't mean you can do the show. <laughs> yeah. And I could say that, I, I won't tell you which ones, but I, you know, I, a couple of those I realized only afterwards, oh gosh, I really didn't <laughs> know what to do with this, even though I love seeing it as an audience member. And I think that affects a lot of 
uh, directors who pick shows. You have to you really have to understand that you have to figure out can I do can I do this rather than just say wow I love love seeing this. So, um, so are there any show and and I don't know if this this. I mean, at this point, I guess you've already offended them. Are there any shows that are just too painful that you've sat through that that just stick with you as far as oh man, that was that was not well, a good experience? I think I'll go on record naming names on that. It's just that in 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 several instances, uh, it's sort of what I've just said, but there yeah. there have been some where uh, a, a fairly recent one was one that was an original production that had been pulled together. Uh, for with with various, um, um, I guess it was kind of a group thing, mm-hmm. uh, and it was clear that the people on stage were having a great time and were enjoying what they were doing. But it didn't make any sense to me, and I didn't know why they were doing what they were <laughs> doing. And it was just com- it was just a complete like, why did I come? Yeah. Um, and uh, the other thing is that. Again, I'm, I know all of this because I've done it all, and I've been guilty of some of this. Mm-hmm. I've hopefully learned my lesson. But part of the problem is that a lot of people in the, all the theater parts all enjoy the process. Yeah, you know, the rehearsing, the finding the new levels, and the community, and the uh, you know the, the the friendships that are formed, and mm-hmm. the fun you have of exploring things. All that's internal and is part of the rehearsal process. But that can't that part of it can't be seen by the audience. Yeah. They only see the result. And I've had some theaters uh, write me after a review and saying, you gave us a you know negative review or a mixed review, but don't you understand? We spent weeks on this, and we went on a retreat, and we've, we've had everybody you know, quit their jobs, and, and we've lived together to make this thing happen. And I say, yes, but that's your experience. Mm-hmm. And it's what you did before you got to the point where you raised the curtain and we came as an audience member. We don't know mm-hmm. anything about that. It's like an actor. The only thing we're going to see is the result. And if you don't have someone who has uh, enough vision to step back and look at that and go, well, wait a minute, we aren't really doing what we need to for this. Right. But it's it's an easy trap to fall into to have the the great enjoyment. It's nothing like, as, you, as I know you know, there's nothing like the camaraderie and the the enjoyment of working on the shows mm-hmm. but there still has to be some yeah. way to see what the product is. translate that on stage Art sometimes. yeah mm-hmm. yeah i um now there are, are, are certain like there are pet peeves i have like uh for example if i see a musical and it's using canned music i will that to me, I'm automatically like, well, that's a point that I'm taking off because <laughs> I, I I believe music, a live show should be live. Uh, sure. do, do you have any any sort of pet peeves like that? Any sort of things where you're like, well, that's automatic. That's that's not that's. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, for instance, on that on that note, it isn't something that I think anybody wants it. To- to be, I mean, live music would be the obvious uh, thing for a musical. I've seen some shows in which the canned music was used, and they were well done within that context. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't automatically mean it won't be a good show. Of course, it limits things because you can't, there's no variation. The thing starts, and you have to go with it. 
you don't have any chance for a you know a live musician uh, or musical director to you know be able to take in any any momentary problems or whatever mm-hmm. you know I mean you can you go with the, the liveness but that that doesn't totally turn me off but I understand your reaction and certainly um, um, usually the problem with that is they don't know how to control the sound and it's too loud or it's 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 you know the technical sound of the music is not is not good mm-hmm. and that seems to be the case most of the ones that I've seen but um as far as pet peeves, let me think. That's not what I had thought of. <laughs> um, well, as far as the actual physical production, I don't think I have anything that is... I'll say this is slightly different. Um, we all have our blind spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of every, every theater critic and every audience member, are there going to be some things that you just don't... Uh, like or or one and mine is what they call devised theater mm-hmm. which again it's more about the process but it's a lot of theaters are doing this now where you get together the cast and you say we're going to do a um play about um I don't know. I'm just going to pick up the voter suppression, mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, as a as a as a social justice theme. And so everybody goes out and does interviews with people, and they find these articles, and they p- role play, and they do all this. They find pictures and mm-hmm. videos, and they pull it all together, and they spend weeks putting these pieces together and assigning uh, roles and making up what they're going to put together, and that's why it's called devised because it's not even written by one person, but mm-hmm. it's put together from many, many, many pieces. That is a very difficult thing for the final product to really a have a focus, mm-hmm. b kind of be entertaining, but yet the participants have had all of that. Again, they've had yeah. all that fun, if that's the <laughs> word, or an education of getting it all together, but. I don't. I don't see the. I don't know what audiences want to see those things. Yeah. You know, it's all sort of a big, a big kind of uh, blur of things, and it doesn't have. I, I have to. Ha- I want it to have an arc. I want it to have focus. I want it to have you know, sort of a, a beginning, middle, and end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that's too old-fashioned, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I, I, that's one of the ones that I, I react strongly against. So. So have you uh, have you ever run into an actor or a director after you've done a pretty negative review for a show who who's wanted to give you a piece of their mind or? Well, usually it's not luckily not uh, 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 confronting me in real you know re- seeing them on the street or something like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not everybody is happy with reviews that I, I, I have given. And again, as I say, I'm not someone who does. I hate those people who write mean things and make them funny because it's about them writing, not about them reviewing the show. So yeah. it's not been something. Plus, obviously, if I've been an actor and I've been a director and I've run a theater, I have been on the receiving end of reviews, both mm-hmm. positive and negative, and I know how it feels. And I was never, never able to do that kind of thing that reads great. You, I mean, you, know, you pick up the New Yorker and you read a real you know, sort of sharp, negative review, and it's funny and everything, but when you just pull back a little bit and think, but those people who've been given these little, you know, barbs, they're the ones who've sweated on stage and who are doing it for hopefully the best reasons, and if it's not good, 
you need to say it in a way that isn't uh, not, you have to do it constructively. You shouldn't be making the person feel bad. So, you know, that that means that um, I hope that any review I've ever done has never been in that context. But, of course, if it's a negative thing, somebody is going to want to say, well, this is, you know, you, you missed the point or you didn't do something. And so it doesn't happen very often because I think that's because I don't do that the way I was describing. But mm-hmm. um I, and usually what I do is, of course, it's only one person's opinion. Right. As, I, as I say, an informed and educated and experienced one. But again, <laughs> it's my reaction. And what's lucky is that in the triangle, we've always had multiple reviews, mm-hmm. even even way back. And currently we have, you know, any one show can get five, six, seven reviews by completely different people. And so mm-hmm. <laughs> you can always pick the one you like. <laughs> uh, and... Um, so really, I mean, and that's nothing wrong with that. If the if the theaters get a great review from somebody, they put that glowing review on the website and the publicity. That's the way those things work. They're not going to quote the the ones that you know that's negative. So it would be worse if there was only one review, which you know mm-hmm. many smaller cities sometimes only have, or yeah. depending on where you are, you know. And if that's that's when you don't have any choice. But yeah. luckily, there's always a spread, so yeah. that helps. In a way, too, but no, I haven't really had any big, big confrontations. And I try to also listen to what they're saying. And in some cases, I have said, "I see your point, and I think I did uh, misinterpret this a bit." Or, "I see your point, but here's why I reacted to it." And I try to be very straightforward and never angry back, or never trying to do anything except uh, engage that person and make them see maybe more of my my point and I try to see theirs so so what do you think of the uh, the current state of theater in the triangle I'm, I'm guessing you're keeping up with shows oh yeah yeah because again as I said I'll still be doing some reviewing mm-hmm. but and I also want to go and see see them luckily I got to see a lot for free and got paid <laughs> for writing it but even now I'm still going to want to go and see shows that I know are going to be or think are going to be good because of what it is or who did so the the um the current state is you know still pretty amazing uh when you I always keep a list of what are theater producing entities whether it's a full theater or if it's a uh, a group that's you know started a theater that as long as it has something that's ongoing and they present mm-hmm. something every every season and every year I keep a list and it's always over 50 in this triangle and the reason is over 50 i'm counting everything from the touring companies that come in to our own local professional theaters like north Carolina theater and playmakers and then there's the university theaters which the all have theater departments and have you know good productions you have the community theaters you have the independent theaters like burning coal mm-hmm. and you have um we used to have dinner theaters. We don't have currently some, but those come up and back and forth. So all of that, all of that, if you add all that together, I'm not talking about children's theater or high school theaters, mm-hmm. but just the ones I named, it's always between 50 and 60 entities that are currently producing. So my gosh, yeah. I have to say it's thriving. <laughs> sort of always has, I guess because of that sort of uh, synergy thing that happens mm-hmm. because you've got Chapel Hill, Durham, and Raleigh as yeah. the literal you know, triangle, and because of the level of not only the now the numbers, you know, there's like almost 2 million people in the 
region that you count as the metropolitan area that mm-hmm. includes the um, uh, triangle. So uh, that's there's support. Uh, there's the possibility of support there, and a lot of people here who are interested in doing theater. So theater is you know certainly thriving. Yeah, our uh, our show that we we do uh, we uh, when we started and we were founded uh, by Lynn Pryor who had uh, who would run the Gilbert Theater. Uh, the focus was mainly on uh, theater going on in Cumberland County, even though you know he 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 wanted it to be named uh, NC Theater Stories. So it was wasn't about the entire state. And uh, recently, you know, we uh, when when I decided to bring the show back, I was like, well, let's call it NC Theater Stories. So I'm gonna try to see how much of the theater I I can cover. And the triangle alone is man, it is overwhelming trying to keep up with everything. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't, I, I'm, I'm sure I've already failed to, to mention uh, countless shows that have, have opened, uh, just opened, but, uh, you know, and that's just the triangle <laughs> and, you know, right. and, yeah. and, you know, I, I've decided that I'm probably going to end up, uh, leaving the Charlotte area and those areas that are a little, little far out for me, uh, alone right. for now, but, uh, man, it is, it is. Uh, remarkable well, to me as, that you've seen so many shows. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy when you, I mean, you know, I, I start, until I added that up, I don't think I would have thought that number, and then I realized, my gosh. But, um, you know, had great fun doing it, and of course, every every show I see adds to my, added added to my, you know, experience and knowledge, so it certainly, certainly helped, uh, you know, keep me uh, informed, but again, there, I, I certainly admit there were some shows that I just well, I don't I don't know what this is about. What is this? <laughs> Especially some of the newer things that they they do or, or original things, and you try to keep up um, with what's going on. Yeah, um, Burning Coal. They, they just uh, I think they're still doing a stuff happens. Right. Uh, uh-huh. The um, do you get a chance to see that show? I haven't seen it yet. I'm not sure if I'm going to get a chance, but I know exactly just from the description of the reviews. I know. It's the kind of thing they do well, and I can I can see it in my mind's eye because they've done I would call similar type things where it's they use that space in a way that of course it doesn't allow much setting anyway, and many times the show is nothing but chairs and tables and lighting, but you know that's what I that's what I say makes great theater. <laughs> so yeah, they're they're a good good long term company. I mean, the, probably the worst thing is that every theater wants to have a permanent space, but that's not possible. And if the minute you are renting or looking for somewhere to be, you can't always, you know, put on the the best uh, physical production because you've got to get in there and get out, and you know, you you have to, uh, you know, you obviously have some limitations. But in some ways, those limitations can make you creative. That's another thing is if you have a, you know. $12 million building and a giant donor fund, it makes you a little bit lazy and laid back because you think, oh, well, we, you know, we've got all this, but when you have to, how are we going to make this happen, you know, on our $500 budget? <laughs> it really does make a difference, and I think that actually spurs creativity. So Yeah, I... Um... I, I, you know, I, I operate out of, uh, out of Southern Pines. I don't know how many of our listeners know that, but, uh, and, and there isn't a lot as far as a theater community here, unfortunately. Um, 
there is this this space called the Sunrise Theater. They used to do live shows there, but now it's mostly used for for film. And I re I remember I had uh, spoken with the person who runs that place about like hey why, why don't you guys do live theater there and she was saying oh well you know the, the stage is just too small it's not it's I, not it's not the right size it's it's not you know it's it's just not right for it it's better as a movie theater and i just you know just just knowing of the theaters that have worked with so much less than they had like no backstage no like no right i mean any space is a theatrical space mm -hmm. and it depends on what you obviously have to choose the things that will work there and don't try to do something that doesn't fit or try to compromise it by doing it and then not being able to do it well but there's a million things you could do in any space you know if it's if it's done right and to me, the best theater is in a small space because you are more directly connected to the actors. When you're in a 2,800-seat theater like the Durham or Deepak, you know, it's not that that isn't great to go see a giant Broadway show, but you are not connected to that in the same way as you are when you're in, let's say, a 100-seat theater and the actors are right there. You just have a different impact uh, uh, to it. And, and I kind of divide the theater theater experiences into sort of two camps. You've got the ones that are meant to be in this sort of more intimate space, and then you've got the big shows that are meant to be big, and you experience those in a different way, but they're different, you know. Uh, so, uh, but it's funny how sometimes the, the giant musicals that you see at a place like Deepak or Rod Memorial Auditorium, when it gets when those tours and the the show is off Broadway and finally some of the other theaters can start doing them, and somebody decides to do the same show, but do it in a an intimate space, and you suddenly get sometimes a big revelation of oh my gosh there's so much more to this show or I didn't realize that that particular show could have this depth or this angle because you are in a smaller space and the you aren't trying to you know dazzle everybody with giant effects. And that, that same thing I said before, I think the minute you get caught up in trying to get bigger and bigger physical effects, you are trying to imitate basically the movies. That's really what you're doing. I mean, what's playing on Broadway right now? King Kong as a musical. <laughs> yeah. And the idea that it has a giant mechanical Kong is the attraction. And so it's like the show really doesn't matter so much as people are going to go because they want to see mm -hmm. Giant thing happen, and it may be dazzling. It may be the greatest thing they've ever done, but to me, that is just not. Yeah. Real theater. <laughs> you know, oh, the legitimate it's, theater. <laughs> it's a spectacle that that is a is an entertainment, and there are thousands of people who will pay top money mm -hmm. to see it, and that's great. I'd rather people be in a theater than not. But the I, I think Broadway is on the wrong path because it just everything has to get bigger and bigger and more. You know, Spider-Man swinging yeah. through the thing. That's that's asking for trouble because you're relying on mechanics and on physical uh, things that can all go wrong in mm -hmm. so many ways with the computerized things, electronic things, and yet you can have a nine by twelve foot square stage and three people on it and knock your socks off mm -hmm. because it's what they're doing as that thing of theater being really people about people. It should always yeah. have something that draws you in as a human one way or the other. So 
I'll get off that soapbox. I, well, you know, there, there was actually a story in the New York Times fairly recently, I think maybe about a week ago, and it was about how um, how even though it, is, it isn't necessarily a... a uh, it is necessary. It might just be a temporary trend, but for some reason, for some unexplained reason, uh, these upcoming shows that are opening this season are they have a ton of of straight plays that there aren't these aren't big musicals. These are you know fairly small, sort of intimate. Right. Yeah, works. I saw that article. Yeah, uh-huh. and, uh huh. Well- and that was that was exciting. I thought because well, usually yeah. what happens is Good. you'll see things on Broadway and then it'll sort of trickle down to the rest of the country like five years later. <laughs> and, right. yeah. Well, and also the fact that normally, I mean, for many decades, really, the the you know Broadway used to be not just musicals. It was certainly stage plays were were as much a part of it as anything, and that's just dwindled over the years. And now, in some seasons, you might have one or two plays you know dramas or comedies mm-hmm. compared to 39 musicals that open because broadway has really become a completely different thing that's not where you look towards for new material other than these new mega musicals and that's what it's become a business and mm-hmm. it's understandable and you know they have people coming from around the world visiting and so they've got to have something that's really a, an entertainment in a different way but it used to be that the off-broadway uh sort of a theater group was where you found, you know, the Tennessee Williams and mm-hmm. the Everett Albies and those kind of things. But even off-Broadway has kind of moved up to what Broadway used to be. So <laughs> it's really now out in the regional uh, theaters around the country that are where these, um, I would call my my type of, mm-hmm. of uh, theatrical I mean, plays or com- it doesn't have to be drama, although it's obviously my favorite. But I mean, I like <laughs> anything that draws me in, whatever it does. And the more unusual and different, you don't need to see the same things that you can see now on any electronic device. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that sort of a standard comedy, standard you know, police drama, lawyer thing, uh, whatever it is. Those things are now very common, and you. Uh, for theater to attract anybody to actually get out of their house and go into the car and pay the babysitter and travel 30 miles and or wherever it is, not 30, but you know what I'm saying, be, we do, we go from Raleigh to Durham, Chapel Hill to see theater. It's got to be something that isn't something you can see, yeah. not in a live form, but the same, you know, idea of what is presenting. And to me, that's where theater has to, has to look to, to make sure that they're keeping something that is different uh from uh so different from what you can see easily without having to get up off your couch so Uh, it's kind of a challenge do you have any plans to direct again or even get on the stage i I, i'm guessing this is probably unlikely since you haven't done it in a while but i'll never say no uh as the phrase goes but i was not that great I can admit now, and remembering my lines when I was many years younger, I, I did. But I mean, I was I was never somebody who just could just sit there and go, oh, I can can do these in my sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was it was always something that I had to really work hard on. Uh, and of course, it's the rehearsal time and all mm-hmm. that stuff. I loved directing, and if I was thinking of anything, I would probably go back to that because I had very satisfying experiences. But it is a time consuming. 
you know, one actor learns one part and comes to rehearsal and does that part. The director is responsible for everything, ultimately. So mm-hmm. you're worrying about the set, the publicity, the who is who got sick and you have to replace them and why something isn't going to be able to be done with the the setting and you know you're 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 responsible the whole time so you you get some enjoyment but a lot of it is headache and I thought hmm maybe I don't want to do all that again <laughs> so I don't know I, it would it would have to be the right uh, you know project or something I'd have to see but um, there are other things that um, I still I, I love talking and writing about theater in mm-hmm. not just a review way but but the kind of things that we've been talking about. And so I have done some workshops and one day or short run uh, class type things. I've done some of those in the past and uh, might look into the, some of that. And who knows, I might write a play or something. Oh, wow. That'd be <laughs> awesome. Now, you did uh, you did run a theater bookstore for a while. I know. That was talk about something you learn your lesson on. Well, I think we were too we were too early. Although now we would be too late because you get everything you know instantly delivered by Amazon, Amazon yeah. two days later. But at the time in the late seventies, kind of in tandem with that uh, idea that started Raleigh Ensemble Players, is that we didn't have anything that the actors in the community could easily access mm-hmm. script and technical information and recordings and those sorts of things. So. Uh, a fellow actor and I, a different one, started, uh, we decided, I think without any business knowledge, that's the worst <laughs> part, to open a bookstore called Off-Broadway Books. And it ran from 1978 through 1983. It's only about, it was only about five years, but mm-hmm. what we did was stocked all the Samuel French and Dramatist Places. Oh, wow. and, you know, had hundreds of those to select from, and we had Broadway show recordings, and we had you know set design things and costume books, and we even had physical things like T-shirts and different things. Just trying to make it a theater, basically. Because you really, at that yeah. point, it was thrilling to go to New York because I could go to a similar type store and look over scripts. Yeah, you, know, you didn't have those in regular bookstores because that wasn't what people were buying. You know, you couldn't go to a at that time to a even a B. Dalton's or mm-hmm. Walden's or one of those and find you know, uh, other than the classics, you couldn't find all these scripts. So we thought it was a great idea, and it did have a certain amount of uh, customers, but it just, it was way over, it was way too much for what we were had to pay for the, the service and had to do the ordering and stuff. So it was a failed experiment, but it was it was fun to do. <laughs> Even with Amazon, I think that would be really, you know, I, I you know, you, you when you go, if you go to Amazon.com, you're not going to be able to, like, pick out a show you've never heard of and, and, right. you know, read a few pages right. and be like, you know what? I need to pick this up. This is, I, I don't know. I think that'd be really, really great to have a really great resource. Well, actually now the, the play, the play script uh, rights owners have gotten savvy. And so Samuel French and Dramas play service and several of the others, you can go online if you don't know this already. And you can read through, it has all this, all the information about, you know, how many, what the cast, are and what the technical things are and then they give you the first 10 to 15 pages of the script which also includes all the information at the beginning about you know the requirements and the various things and the, who the characters are and then you can get a feel for the writing and then they they link the reviews and they link 
background stuff, and so it actually kind of works like an online store for just theater. And you, between those two big ones, the main two, you can really kind of peruse. Uh, 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 you can get a good feel for something you might want to pick out between reading the pages and reading the reviews and looking at what it, the requirements are. So for anybody listening who doesn't know that, that's a little hint. <laughs> nope. Now, I would say that uh, I, the reason I brought up your bookstore was I was thinking you should you should totally and I, I this might be more trouble than it's worth to you, but go to the news and observer say, you know, let me let me print all my stories, all my reviews in a book, <laughs> just compile a book. Right. I think I think a lot of people in the triangle, especially yeah. Uh, yeah, people involved in the shows, would probably get a kick I out mean, of it. I mean, the thing about it is, you, if you if you haven't seen, I mean. Yes and no. And by the way, they're my, I own them all. I don't have to ask the News Observer anything. Oh, nice. <laughs> Correspondence, uh, they only have the rights for the first publication of it and only for a certain number of days. I think it was, like it was two weeks before you could you could use it somewhere else. So that was a real nice deal. And so I have all this. Um, I don't know about all the reviews, but even the selection. Uh, but it, maybe as a history of some of the theaters and what went on, that might be be something. If I had more what energy number of years left et cetera, et cetera. there are so many projects like that that because uh, i tend to want to do those kinds of things but you know doing a theater history of the triangle would be would be uh neat uh but i think of these sometimes not as a book but as being like an online not that books aren't nice and mm -hmm. permanent and all that but doing something where you could have a website that had you know pictures and reviews and links everything together uh, so there's that kind of idea, and um, uh, yeah, it, it, I think I'm more interested though in trying to continue doing something active now rather than going back over there. But just to give you an example though, um, and I'll be happy to send you this if you ever if you ever thought you'd be interested. I did put together in around 1990. I thought you know, one thing that nobody ever seemed to be able to know in planning their seasons with mm -hmm. all these theaters in the triangle even back then was has this play already been done somewhere mm -hmm. you know should we pick this or has it already kind of you know seen its day because it's been produced five times and there was mm -hmm. no way to know that so i took the theater listings for every week in the spectator magazine which i also wrote for because they had a complete listing of theater of they were the best place to look for what was going mm -hmm. on i sat down and went through uh 12 years worth <laughs> from when they started till 1990 and listed every show and every theater in a database and when they were on and who the author was and all that sort of so that when you put them all together you could see oh they've done you know man who comes to dinner 15 times we don't need to do that uh, so but that was the kind of thing that I thought I always been thinking of what can help the community, and also now I look back at it and realize I also have a record of many theaters that don't exist anymore oh. that popped up and went out, which you know, which happens a lot. But a number of of things that were then that aren't here now, and probably are kind of lost in time. But at least this one document has that that record. So you know, nice. That uh, I'll, I'll keep pricking on some of my ideas. <laughs> Well, uh, I want to thank you so much for taking sure. out this time to speak with me. Uh, this has honestly probably been one of my favorite interviews. 
um because it, it, it's just you know you, you you certainly have a wealth of, of knowledge of of the uh theater community and uh, i was i was very grateful for being able to to uh, pick your brain absolutely be happy to chat anytime anytime you have any other ideas about something we can we can mull over that'd be great i, I love talking about it obviously <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the opportunity yeah Good times and bum times, I've seen them all, and my dear, I'm still here. Plush velvet sometimes, sometimes just pretzels and beer, but I'm here. I've stuffed the dailies in my shoes, strummed ukuleles, sung the blues, seen all my dreams disappear.